Get your Bibles out tonight. We're in Psalm 91, and God willing, if we make it through this service, we're going to finish it up. Anybody like completing things? Some people are great starters, but bad finishers. And tonight we want to be more than great starters. We want to be good finishers. Kim, do you think you could read the psalm for us tonight? She's been practicing at home in the mirror all week. So, Let me just thank God for the word. Father, we thank you tonight for this place. We thank you that we can come worship you here. Thank you for these beautiful people that have come to hear the word and to worship you and to be in the house of God on Wednesday night. God bless them. Meet all their needs. Strengthen their relationships, their finances, and their hearts. Give them the peace that passes all understanding, Father, and send every one of us home tonight with a deposit from you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, or of the arrow that flies by day, or of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him behold my salvation. Amen. Tonight, as we finish up here, we'll have covered every word of that psalm and given it meaning and digged into the depth for God's illumination of the text. And I know it's been a good journey and it's been a blessing to me. I hope it's been a blessing to you. What we're going to cover tonight is I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Last time we talked about the promise of God that came out of verse 15. And remember we said there were seven promises in the last few verses here. And we've covered, we're going to cover the last of them tonight. Uh, the promise was that God would hear us when we called upon him and then he would answer. And uh, it says, he shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. That's, that's a good series of promises, isn't it? Anybody ever get in trouble? Anyone ever cry out to God? Some of you are dead silent. You're lying in church. Anyone ever cry out to God? You ever open up the bill and you just say, oh, Jesus, help me. When that demon Visa and MasterCard after Christmas, take it easy on Black Friday. The bill's coming afterwards. We cry out to God in trouble. We cry out to God in crisis. We cry out to God in confusion. He shall call upon me, I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. So we learn that all of us need to be heard. In life, we need to be heard. 
In marriages, we need to be heard. Husbands need to be heard. Wives need to be heard. Even children need to be heard. A child that's not heard by its parents or authorities or teachers will be very frustrated in those venues because all of us have this inward need to be heard. God says when we call upon him, he will answer us. He's going to hear us when we cry out. We learned that there were some things that uh, would block up the communication lines between us and God. I'm not going to cover those, but I encourage you to listen to these messages as they're posted online. And, uh, you know, sometimes we need to hear things a couple times before we get it. We need to be heard when our connection to God is broken and our prayers are hindered and that happens at times. You know, we need to search our hearts and get before God and quickly find out what the problem is and repent. If you've been praying and going through a long season and it's as the heavens are brass, nothing's getting through, you feel like it's bouncing off and God's not answering, it's not time to point up at heaven and go, what's the matter with you up there? It's time to be like David and say, Lord, search me, try me, Search my heart, Lord. Is there any wicked way in me? And then to quickly repent and find restoration. So being heard was an important thing. And, you know, it's important to be heard, but hearing a person's cries is not enough. People hear that other people are in trouble all the time. In fact, this week, maybe just in your neighborhood or at the office or on social media, you heard about people who were in crisis. Some people who are in sick, some people in car accidents, some people who lost their jobs. There's many crises. We hear about people in trouble all the time. You know, people say things to us in the neighborhood or in the office, on the telephone, talking about situations. Did you hear that so-and-so was in a bind or, you know, he's in over his head or they're overwhelmed? Or did you hear so-and-so struggling mentally, physically, uh, emotionally? And, and, oh, yeah, I heard. Well, what did you do to help them? I told you, right? And people just share the stories and share the need and share the trouble, and they don't help the person that's in need. When God hears us cry, he doesn't just go, oh, I heard you. Yeah, you're in trouble. That looks bad. He answers us, and he helps us. Aren't you thankful that he didn't just look down and go, oh, they're lost in their sin. They're all going to go to hell. That's too bad. I feel bad for them. No, he sent Jesus. Come on, amen. Our God's not just uh, someone who says, well, you know, I see this and I see that and I heard you and I heard your prayer, but I'm not going to do anything. He rolls up his sleeves. He gets down in the muck and mire. He sent his only begotten son, come on, to come on earth, to die on a cross, to rise again on the third day. He does something about it when he hears us cry. I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. What a great thing here. In Matthew 25 Uh, 34 through 40, Jesus drives home the indisputable point that it's meeting a need that brings eternal rewards, not just hearing about one. Listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you that to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. 
See, it's not hearing about the need or knowing about the need or hearing the cry for help. It's about rolling up our sleeves and doing something about it. There's an eternal, it's really quiet now. We all look serious. We're like, man, I gotta, I gotta get in prison ministry. I gotta go help the hurting people. I need to do missions. Come on, after you read a verse like that, if you're honest, you're like, man, I gotta get busy. Not this side of the room, anybody? And it's not about works, and it's not about, you know, trying to earn our salvation, but it's being a doer, not just a hearer. God is a hearer. He hears us, and he helps. He rolls up his sleeves, and he asks us to do the same thing. There's an eternal reward attached to all of those things that Jesus listed there. And when we do it for the least, we do it unto him. So what will God do for us when we call out to him in trouble? What will God do for us when we cry out and he hears us and he's with us? Well, the second half of verse 15 tells us exactly what he promises to do for those who love him. He says, I will deliver him and honor him. Those are two pretty good promises. Let's look at the deliverance one first. Now, verse 14 says, I will deliver him. So this is a reiteration of that. God, we found out God is our deliverer. He's always been our deliverer. Whenever we get out of bondage in anything, or under anyone, in any way, it's God who really delivers us. Amen? It wasn't our own strength. It wasn't our wonderful intellect. It wasn't our brilliant idea that got us out of trouble. Okay, remember that. Oh, I'm really smart. I came up with a good plan. Look at me. Hey, God, you know, look what I did. And all of heaven is going, oh. In the end, God is our deliverer. None of us have the strength to get out of the ditch of sin. None of us have the, the strength or the willpower to overcome the flesh. That's why Jesus had to die to break the power of it, amen? Our, the flesh is too powerful. The enemy is too powerful. Without Jesus, there's no way we can beat him. We're done immediately. We're born into sin, and we confirm our sin nature immediately when we're able to. So God says, I will deliver him. And it's a, a reiteration of verse 14. You're going to find that all through Scripture, that God promises us you know, deliverance through him. But deliverance from what assails us at any given moment is a huge promise, and it's only accessible to us if we lay hold of it by faith. And you might say, why would you need faith to see that promise come to pass? Because when we're under attack, when we're under siege, when we're in crisis, a lot of times with the natural eye, it doesn't look like we're going to make it. It doesn't look like it's going to go our way. It doesn't look like we're going to come out of this one unscathed. Come on, how many times in life you've been in a pit or a ditch or standing in front of a judge or under a mountain of bills and it looked in the natural, there's no way out of this. Come on, Wednesday night. I know it's not Sunday morning, but get your Sunday game face on. And you're like, I, I don't know. God said he delivered me, but this looks impossible. See, that's why we need faith to tap into that deliverance promise, to look past the giants, look past the mountains, look past the circumstances, and believe God's word, amen? So we activate this promise by faith. You know, you look at these situations we find ourselves in life. The, the financial statement is dire. The court decision is catastrophic. The doctor's report is horrific, and what do we do? We turn to God in faith. Now, you might get into these situations, and God says he's our deliverer, but the mountain looks so big and the giant looks so big. So what do we do? Now it's time for us to exercise our faith. 
You might be sitting there tonight and going, man, I, I wish I wasn't facing a giant. I wish I wasn't facing a mountain. You know what? And I'm going to say something. All the mountains and giants we face are a blessing to us because they get to show us how small we are and how big our God is. They get to show us that we don't need to rely on ourselves, but we can rely on him to knock down the giant, to level the mountain, to, to solve the issues and to deliver us from whatever we've got ourselves into. Come on tonight. Well, you guys must be so saved and holy. You don't have any problems. I'll just keep moving through the text here. It's time to exercise faith. You know, this is absolutely where the battle is won or lost. Many times God wants to deliver us, but we don't approach the situation with faith, and we speak words into the situation that give the enemy power, and he levels us and beats us when God would have given us victory and delivered us. Come on, that was worth driving out here on Wednesday night. If you, if you get this tonight, you'll have more victories than defeat in your future, amen? The battle is won or lost when we exercise faith. Well, God, you didn't deliver me. Well, well, you didn't approach me with faith. You didn't believe my word. You didn't believe the covenant promises of the psalm here that I, that I gave you in Psalm 91. You didn't stand on the word. You believed the lie of the enemy, and he took advantage of you. This is how it works. So the battle's won or lost in whether we exercise faith when we face the mountains. Now, this is where we either possess the covenant promises of Psalm 91 and we see them come to pass in our lives, or we shrink back, we believe a lie, we get beat by the enemy, and we sentence ourselves to another lap around the same mountain. You know, very rarely do we win a battle the first time. Anybody honest enough to say that? You know, two, three times, four or five times, kind of like passing the bar. You know, it's not something everybody gets on the first try. Uh, but God is patient with us, and, and, and he strives with us. Why? Because he wants to teach us how to be the victor and not the victim, amen? He wants to teach us that he's our deliverer, not our own strength, not our own grit. Well, I, I got myself into a big hole, and I made a big mess, but I'm going to get three jobs now. Now you destroy your marriage. You're never in church. You starve yourself for the word. You, you get hooked on all kinds of things to keep yourself going. Oh, I'm preaching now. Exercise faith and find out he's your deliverer. If your life is under attack right now, remember God's promise to deliver you. Believe it. Believe the covenant promise of Psalm 91. Exercise your faith and see the salvation of the Lord. I will deliver him. Now, the fifth, pro the fifth promise that comes from Psalm 91 is an interesting one. God says to the one who loves him and finds himself in trouble, I will deliver him, but also I will honor him. Isn't that, isn't that an interesting one? God himself says he will honor us. And the truth is, many times we feel like, well, certainly we should honor God, but you know what? Why should God honor me? Come on. You might think this, if you really dig into this and search your heart, you're going to find out that it almost seems a little bit strange here. Well, God, why would you honor me? I messed up. I got in the ditch. I jumped in the mud. It wasn't that I got tricked into sin. I jumped in with both feet. Oh, don't look so holy out there. The truth is that's the situation. So we don't feel like, you know, when he delivers us and we come out the other side, we don't feel very honorable. But God promises to honor us. Now, if we're being honest here, the truth is when we do the right things, all of us like to be honored. In fact, raise your hand if you don't like to be honored. I'm waiting for some sucker to raise their hand. Come on, all of us like to be honored when we do the right thing, you know? 
It's like we want to hear somebody say, hey, good job. Every once in a while, get a pat on the back. You know, it's rare in life. It's rare in our society. But you know what? Truly, all of us enjoy it when we exercise good character, when we have, you know, achievements or accomplishments in life. To some degree, all of us like to be honored. And you know what? That's okay. You believe me? God put that in us, amen? It's not that, oh, you know, I got a pride issue or, you know, I'm, you know, I'm really self-centered or I'm narcissistic. No, all of us like to be honored to some degree. Now, let's talk about this here a little bit. It's okay to desire that in some way and to yearn from that. We should yearn from that from the Father, that he would honor us, that he would, you know, uh, tell us well done. That's something that's in all of our hearts. The problem comes about being honored and receiving honor is when we love it and we need it. If you've ever met somebody who loves to be honored, who loves accolades, who loves to be praised, and they need it, and they demand it from others all the time over every little thing to the point where if you, if you miss one well done or boy or thank you, they're mad. Come on, and the truth is we've all met people like that. I'm hoping that we're not like that, but maybe at times in life we've been like that. We're rubbed raw, we're sensitive, we're trying really hard, nobody's noticing us, and they don't acknowledge us, and they don't honor us, and we did all the work, and now we're mad. And now we get rubbed raw. And before you know it, we need that honor. We love that honor. We want that honor. We demand that honor. You see, when we're in that condition, we are now in a very dangerous, soul-destroying situation that's called man-pleasing because now we're going to do whatever it takes to get that attaboy from men because we need it and we want it and we demand it. How many times have you heard somebody, they disrespected me, they disrespected And I hear people say that all the time. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, you don't deserve much respect with that attitude. Respect is earned. And if you've earned respect and you don't get it, then you have a right to have your feathers rustled. But I see a, a whole lot of people, a whole generation pe of people that demand respect and they haven't done anything yet. They want the corner office with the window and the BMW and, and, and this and that. And, the, and, and, and it's your second day on the job. Oh, Wednesday night, hang on. God says, I will honor him. When we love it and we need it and we demand it, we're into man-pleasing. It'll destroy our souls. You know what? Those who need to be acknowledged and admired and, and desire accolades and it's out of balance, you know, their need for man's approval is a sign of spiritual trouble. You and I should just desire God's affirmation in our life. And listen to me. There are times where you get the accolades of men and you'll feel how hollow and empty they are. You get the little trophy, you get the plaque at work, you, you retire and you get the gold watch. A Rolex, it's not even a Rolex, it's a Rolex. They got it on Delancey Street, come on. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Right, Gooch? It's a Rolex. So we got to balance this thing here. We got to want our affirmation from God. We got to look for the honor that comes from God. 
And that being said, if God is first in our hearts and we are looking for his approval and we receive honor from the other things we do, from other people, you know what? The truth is that's refreshing to our souls. Nobody wants to say yes. You think it's a trap, don't you? No, it's okay. You do a good job and somebody says good job and you know, you're like, thank you. And it blesses you. Mark Twain said that I can go about six months on one good compliment. Think about that. Isn't that true? Just one good compliment, one great job. Ray, you do a roof. It's beautiful. It looks perfect. The customer pays you and says, thank you. Wow. What a moment. It happens once in a while, like an anomaly. You know, it happens. But it's okay to desire that, but it's not okay to demand that. It's okay to enjoy that, but it's not okay to want it from anyone other than God. And the fact that God says he will honor us is in direct proportion to the way we love him and honor him and serve him. Many times we want the honor of men and we want the honor of God, but we're not doing what God has asked us to do. We're not doing what the boss has asked us to do. We're not doing what our conscience says we should do. Oh, this is fun preaching. Psalm 91, man-pleasing is a dangerous thing. I can go about six months on one good compliment And thank God for the people who affirm us and compliment us and encourage us. What a blessing, amen? In Matthew 25, God's word tells us he himself will honor those who serve him well with this accolade. Well done, good and faithful servant, amen? That's the one we want to hear, people, and that's the one we want to live in such a way that we'll hear it. Everything in our life should be geared toward that, that I will honor the Lord so he can honor me. When I'm in trouble, he'll hear my cry, he'll deliver me, and he'll honor me. Many times when we're in trouble, our enemy tries to push us down or lies about us or our enemies try to smear our name or or question our character or make us look bad in the eyes of other. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to not only deliver you, but I'm going to embarrass those who try to embarrass you. I'm going to expose them for having bad character and I'm going to honor you whether they like it or not. Come on. The psalm that says uh, we'll have a, a table spread in the presence of our enemies. What's that? God says your enemies are watching you. I'm blessing you. And they're going to stand there like this. You can have it if you want it. Amen. We honor God. He honors us. The world tries to tear us down. The enemy tries to make fools of us. The, the enemy tries to besmirch our good name. But God says, I'll honor you in the presence of your enemies. I'll set a table for you. I'll exalt you. I'll clear your name. I'll restore your name in the, in the minds of people. And these are the promises that God gives us. Many Christians have gone through so many things that have left them broken and bitter and battered and looking bad in the eyes of others. And you know what? This psalm, this covenant promises that God has to, you know, deal with our enemies and restore our good name because he says that he'll honor us if we love him. At the judgment seat of Christ, every servant will be judged according to the works they did for Jesus in the kingdom of God. If we serve well or if we serve badly, our reward will be meted out accordingly. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Now, if any man builds upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. 
because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Look at that. God rewards us for the righteous things that we do. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So look at that. Our works, our righteous acts, our service to the Lord is all weighed before Jesus, and he gives us a reward for the things we did out of obedience with the right heart, the things we did with the wrong motives, with the wrong heart, the things we did because other people were watching, the things we did because it came with a title or some power. Guess what? They're going to burn up. Now, it's not going to cost us our salvation. Why? Because salvation is a free gift. These works are not about earning salvation. They're God rewards us when we're obedient. And so God is faithful and just. He rewards us for the things we do right. But there's also, you know, let that speak to all of our hearts that, that, that you know, the things that we do with the wrong motives, uh, we're going to suffer loss and those things will be burned up. They'll, we'll have to, you know, stand there admitting before all of heaven that we, we had the wrong motive. We wasted our time and energy. We did things to be seen in the eyes of men. Wow. I know it's no fun, but it's a sobering thing for us to consider tonight. We should understand the joy that touches one's soul when honored by God or by anyone else in a godly way is connected to how much you value that person or institution extending the honor. See, if somebody honors you that you don't have any respect for, the honor doesn't mean much. The more we love Jesus and the more we reverence God, the more his honor and respect and his accolades and over our life mean to us and bless us. You know, there are some people that could care less as they live their lives what God thinks about them. What a reckless way to live. The person who rejects Jesus Christ and thinks God's fiction in a fairy tale and when life's over, you just go in the dirt and you're, they could care less about how they live or how they act or about their moral character or about, you know, what's going to happen when they die and in the resurrection, will they have, they, they don't care. What a sad way to live. Yet you and I need to have enough wisdom to care about the way we live so that we consider in everything we do, does it bring an eternal reward with it? Is it in obedience to Christ? Is it with the right heart and the right attitude? When I stand before Jesus, is it going to burn up? Am I going to suffer loss? Or am I going to have a crown to throw at his feet in gratitude? It's going to be sad for some people who have no crown to throw. When, when Jesus stands before us so worthy, so magnificent, so beautiful, and our hearts are bursting with gratitude and we have nothing to offer because everything we did with the wrong heart was to get the honor and accolades of men and not of God. So if you value a person when they extend an honor to you, uh, it means something to you. If God does it, a parent, a spouse, a coach, a peer, a co-worker, someone that you respect, it's encouraging, it's a blessing. I gotta share with you that I've been honored with lip service a few times in my life from people I did not respect, who didn't have sincere motives, and they were using those accolades they were throwing at me in an attempt to gain leverage over me so they could manipulate me in the future. Be careful about the praises of men. Oh, you're the best, and you're this, and you did a wonderful job, and they'll even stand up and tell everybody how wonderful you are, and all they're doing is buttering you up for the kill. 
because their heart's wrong and they want to get some leverage over, over you. Oh, now you owe me. Did you see how I honored you? Now you, you're going to do this for me. Come on. I know this is, you know, this is uncomfortable. It's a little prickly, but it happens to all of us. Be careful when people honor you if you know that they don't have the right motives and the right heart. You'll know. You'll be able to feel it. I remember sitting there thinking, oh, dear Lord, what, what is this going to cost me? What are they going to want? How are they going to come at me after this? And sure enough, they did. And sure enough, I didn't capitulate to it. And boy, they were mad as a hornet. And you know what they threw up in my face? Look at all I did for you. Wow. Understand the devil. Understand how he works. Don't be ignorant of his devices. So the honor that we should yearn for comes from God. The honor of men is not something we should demand or live for. If it comes through the right channels with the right heart, it's a blessing. But other than that, we should not pursue it. Verse 16 lists the sixth promise. I think I, was, I, think I threw my little scripture on the floor here. When you get older, you've got to blow things up and stick them in your notes so you can read them, and it seems you know, like you can see still. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So the sixth promise to those who love him is with a long life will I satisfy him. Now, the author of the book, Psalm 91, God's Shield of Protection, points out that it's not just a long life that's a blessing. It's a long life that satisfies. Did you read the text carefully? With a long life, I will satisfy him. See, it's not just living a whole bunch of years. It's living a, a bunch of years that are satisfying to your soul. Anybody? None of us want to live. I, I, I lived 130 years, and only 10 of them I enjoyed. Anybody want that life? A long, miserable life? Jacob stood before Pharaoh, and, and Pharaoh said, how old are you? And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm 100. And he's like, what a long life. And Jacob said, the multitude of my days have been evil. Jacob said, I, I went through a lot of hard stuff. So don't just admire a long life. Uh, God promises us a long life that will satisfy us. And there is a big difference. We all know people who have lived long, sad, painful, miserable, unfulfilling lives. We can see them throughout history. Some of them were the richest people that ever were, and they died on their deathbeds in agony with no assurance of heaven, having lived a long, prosperous life, but it was not satisfying to them. A long life that satisfies and ends with us enjoying an eternity in Jesus' arms is the best life of all. And I don't care if it's 10 years, 30 years, 50 years. It, it's not the duration. It's that, that we enjoyed those years, and in the end, we wound up in eternity with Jesus. Come on. Someone say amen. So the text says here, uh, you know, with long life, I will satisfy him. So what is considered a long life? Now, if you lived in the pioneer days and you were in your 40s, you were killing it. Do you realize people that settled the West and all that and these pioneers and, you know, explorers and all that, 35 was the, was, you know, that was it. So if you lived into your 40s during the pioneer days, you had a long life. Now, uh, if you look at the statistics, you know, in the world, the average lifespan globally right now is 75 for women and 70 for men. See that, ladies, if you put up with the man for 70 years, you get five years of peace and quiet. That's your reward, amen. I, 
Tell my wife all the time, hang in there. Your day's coming. In America, it's a bit higher, 81 for women and 77 for men. So, you know, <laughs> those are the average lifespans. Now, let's look what the Bible says. Psalm 90, 10 has this to say about the length of our days. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is only trouble and tragedy, for it quickly passes and will disappear. So 70 is the average lifespan of man that God is saying that's a long life, 80 if by strength. So, you know, if, as we're all approaching those thresholds there, hang in there. Jesus has got your days numbered, and he's going to take you home to be with him, amen, and that's the, that's the point of the drill. But, you know, these are the statistics, and this is what the Bible says, 70 or 80 is considered a long life. Now, the best thing we can do with the gift of a long life is to live it in a way that brings satisfaction to our souls. The best thing we can do with the gift of a long life is to use it to fulfill the purposes of God for our life. If it's 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, whatever it is, live each one of those years fulfilling the purpose of God for your life. You know, the truth is that a lot of us, you know, get to the end of our youth, get to the end of, you know, our 50s or 60s, and we wish we would have done certain things for the kingdom of God. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are in the curve, don't waste another day. The saddest thing is to be laying on your deathbed having never fulfilled the purpose of God for your life. And I pray that none of us experience that. But that we would live a life that's satisfying. Well, what's a life that's satisfying? You know, a lot of comfort, a lot of pleasure, a lot of vacations and early retirement, lots of money. None of that satisfies. If we don't do the will of God, if we don't live according to the commandments of Jesus Christ, if we don't put God first in everything, we will waste our days and our years and they will not be satisfying to us. I wish I could, you know, have talked to my younger self when I was in my teens and 20s, you know, and, and then trying to impart things to my sons that they would maximize their days and their time and their talents and their gifts doing the will of God. As parents, sometimes we push our kids to accomplish things and do things and get high-paying jobs and all that stuff, and we need to ask ourselves, is that the will of God for their lives? Or am I just living vicariously through them, pushing them to do things I wish I could have done and have the things I wish I could have had? Careful, careful. The greatest thing we can impart to our children is a love for Jesus that allows them to execute the will of God for their lives. Then no matter how long they live, they'll have a satisfying life that ends in the arms of Jesus for eternity. Three scriptures... Uh, the, well, you know, the seventh promise is obviously I will show him my salvation. So God honors us with the years and, you know, uh, he, he's going to, you know, give us this long life and protect our life and all of these things. But then he promises to show us our salvation. Now, let me just show you that God has a way of protecting us from death when it's not our time to die. I want to read you one more excerpt from our book here. Psalm 91, God's shield of protection. It's another story about a soldier who went into battle with a Bible in his pocket, and again, it extended his life. John Evans, a Welsh preacher, told of an incident that happened to his friend during the Civil War. Soon after he had received a captain's commendation, 
even though many of his men in the army had little regard for religion, it was fashionable for each soldier of rank to carry a Bible in his pocket. While following orders to burn a fort, the captain and all his men came under very heavy fire from the enemy. When the conflict was over, he found that a musket ball had lodged itself in his Bible, which was in his pocket over his heart. Had it not been for this intervention, he would most assuredly have been killed. Investigating further, he then discovered that the bullet had come to rest on the verse Ecclesiastes 11.9. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Walk in the ways of thy heart and in the sight of thy eyes. But know this, that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. The message made a deep impression on his mind and did the, as did the way he was delivered. As a non-religious man, he realized that the Bible had literally done more than just attempt to save his soul. As a result, he immediately turned his heart toward God and continued to be devout in his Christian walk to a good old age. He often testified how the Bible had become to him that day both salvation for his body and his soul. Think about that. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy life. Enjoy your youth. But, but be mindful of this. God will bring you into judgment for all that wild stuff that your flesh wants to do. So be very careful how you live. It's quiet now, amen? We like the bullet and the preserving of life, and that's cool. But now I have to examine my ways because judgment awaits. You see... God will preserve our lives and protect our lives, but the greatest thing we could do is live our lives for him. And we look at the last promise, the seventh promise, it's, and show him my salvation. The free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ is absolutely the greatest gift anyone could ever receive. Without it, a person's eternity will only consist of sadness, separation, and suffering apart from the presence of God. Three scriptures that I close Psalm 91 with to help us understand the magnitude of the seventh promise, the gift of salvation. Romans 6, 23 reminds us it is a gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Never try to earn salvation. Never try to revel in the fact that you got saved so you think you're special. Realize it is a free gift that we didn't deserve, but God loved us and extended it to us by his amazing grace. Number two, it's only available through Jesus. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. All roads don't lead to God. Lead to God. All religious systems don't lead to God. There are not many ways to God. There's only one way. You, well, the world says that's, not inclusive and that's narrow-minded and that's the problem with you Christians well listen to me you can call it whatever you want but if there's only one way to be saved I want to go that way and Jesus is the only way amen now I want you to do something more than just weekly clap over that I want you to actually share your faith with other people because I'm glad that I'm saved, and I'm glad that you're saved, but you and I should be broken over the fact that there's people around us all day long that are not saved. 
So it's not time to be quiet. It's not time to be politically correct. It's not time to sugarcoat it. It's time to be bold in the Lord and share Jesus with anyone who has ears. Hey, look, if they don't have ears, write it down on a piece of paper. If the, all right, and don't say if they don't have eyes, you're giving me a hard time now. But share the gospel with everyone you can. Lord, let boldness fall on us. Let boldness fall on me. Give me the heart of an evangelist. Give these people the heart of an evangelist, God. Let us be bold, Father. Let us not shrink back. Let us not be ashamed, but, but to share with anyone, to inject Jesus into every situation, every conversation. Eh, Father, that we would be lights in the darkness. Amen. There's no substitution for the salvation that God offers us. I'll close with this. Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what good will it do a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And we should think about that. Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every person according to his deeds. So there's no substitute for salvation. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Psalm 91 says, you know, all these promises, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to deliver you, I'll be with you in trouble, you know, I'll, I'll honor you, all of these things. But the greatest thing that it promises us is that God will show us the free gift of salvation. No matter what we go through in life, no matter if it's a long life or a short life, it's a hard life or an easy life, at the end of our life, the only thing that matters is that we're right with God and we spend eternity with Jesus. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for this psalm. I thank you for the weeks that we've gone through it verse by verse. I pray, Lord God, that we would be mindful of all of these promises that we would read Psalm 91 and accept it as a covenant and that we would live out the promises of it. Father, I pray that we wouldn't just leave from this place and forget all that you've taught us and all that you've shown us. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, we'd rise up with boldness and rest on your promises and overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Prayed in Jesus' name, amen. Give him a hand clap of praise. Thanks.